Glad you're all here. You doing all right? All right. We're going to be in Philippians 1 this morning. I'm going to open us in prayer. If you want to go ahead and turn to Philippians 1, we're going to ask God to speak to us through his word, and I want to pray that now. Father, thank you for this time, and as we just sang, Father, will you come? We are continuing that now, God, that you truly would come into um, not just um, into our room, but you would come into our lives, our hearts, our minds, and you would speak to us today. God, as we open the Bible, we want to hear your voice, God. We want to find you. And I pray, God, that as each person here um, hears from you this morning, God, that we would respond. God, I pray this both for those who believe and even those who don't believe, that this morning, God, we would know your presence, we would know your voice, God, we would hear from you. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, it's good to see you all here. I'm glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, especially glad that you've uh, chosen to visit with us this morning, and if I have not met you, had an opportunity to get to know you, I, I hope that you'll take a moment at the end of the service to come down front and introduce yourself and just let me hear um, how God led you to our church. I'd be honored to get to meet you. Um, we are in Philippians 1 this morning as we continue the sermon series, The Everyday Gospel. Um, the sermon series that we're going through, we're, we're looking at how the theology of the gospel What do we mean by that? We mean that Jesus Christ, the uh, creator of the universe, the king of all kings, um, at just the right time, he stepped down from his throne of glory and stepped into the human story to live among us. And he did so living a perfect life on our behalf. And then he sacrificially laid down his life and died on a cross in our place. And then he victoriously resurrected from the grave and then ascended back to his throne at the right hand of the Father where he awaits now for his return. And so what we're doing is we're asking the question, how does that theology, that gospel theology, apply to my everyday life? And now today we're going to be talking about something near and dear to every person's life and heart, your time, the gospel and our time. Specifically, we're going to be looking at how the gospel informs how we manage our time. And the great irony is this, that time for all of us um, is a fleeting commodity. We wish we had more of it, right? Whether you're six years old or 86 years old, you potentially wish you had more of it. So it impacts every person in the room. And second to that, the reality is that for most of us, we don't think very intentionally about it. On one hand, we know we're losing it and we wish we could have more of it, yet on the other hand, very few of us really intentionally think about how we invest and spend our time. And the question this morning is, how does the gospel inform and impact the way we spend and invest our time? So just let's just do a quick show of hands. I love doing this just to make sure we're all awake. Uh, Show of hands if at some point this year so far, you have felt overwhelmed and overcommitted. Too busy. Okay, keep your hands up. If that's true for the last month, at some point in the last month, okay. How about the last week? Who's still with me? At some point in the last week, you've, okay, perfect. So I've got like 14 honest people in the room. Yes. So by your show of hands at admission, right, today's topic impacts all of our lives. Yet very few of us walked into church today with our day minder ready to hear from God, right? Because why? That's just the thing that keeps track of all the things I have to do. Well, the reality is that Time actually is our greatest commodity as human beings, right? And think about it. We tend to think about things that are important, commodities, time, money, those sorts of things. But the reality is you can trade your time for more money. We do it every week, don't we? I mean, you go to work, you give your time away to get more money, yet you can't do the reverse. You can't 
give money away to get more time. So time then is the greatest commodity we have. And like I said earlier, yet few of us really think very intentionally about how we invest in it, invest it or give it away. Here's a quote from uh, Jason Allen. Um, He's a seminary professor and author in his book. um, It's entitled Being a Christian on Time. He says this, time, not money, is our greatest possession. Yet we throw our time away in alarming ways. We throw our time away in alarming ways, fiddling on social media, vegging out in front of the television, or just giving huge chunks of time to idle chatter. Now let's talk for a minute about a couple of uh, lies that we deal with in our culture. The first one is the lie of multitasking, okay? Um, I consider myself a multitasker. Now what I'm not saying is that you can't multitask, do more than one thing at a time. But the lie is this, that if I can manage to get involved in and do more than one thing at a time, that I can somehow give myself equally and fully to those things with which I'm dividing my time. See, the reality is that each one of us has a bandwidth, right? And so while we think, okay, I'm gonna do this while I'm doing this while I'm doing this, I'm gonna give myself fully to each of these things. In reality, we're dividing ourselves between the things we're multitasking. You tracking with me? So, in theory, if I'm multitasking between three things, I'm talking to you while I'm also trying to reply to this email while I'm driving down the road. Go ahead and elbow that person if you know who they are, right? Uh, in reality, that person is only giving a percentage of themselves to each of those things, and it's incredibly dangerous because they need to be giving 100% of themselves to the road, which is why I'm so thankful for my wife and my boys who constantly remind me, Dad, put your phone down, you're driving. Because the reality is we can't multitask fully, can we? I can't 100% give myself my attention to you while I'm also doing something else. I can do both, but not fully. Now, we're going to have to talk for a minute very honestly about the digital screen, okay? You knew this was coming, right? You knew it was coming. We just need to have an honest conversation about this little thing we keep in our pockets called the cell phone, which is actually more like a computer now than it is a cell phone. Um, But the reality is this little thing is neither good nor evil. Let's just say say that up front, okay? Neither for it nor against it. There are days where I just want to throw it in the lake and wish it never existed. There are other days where I'm so thankful I have it because I'm on the side of the road and I need to get a hold of somebody. Now, what we do with it, right, then determines whether it is used for good or used for evil. Now, this little gadget has a way of sneaking into our lives, this digital screen thing. And two ways that I see it impacting lives and it has impacted my life. First of all, this little gadget has a way of watering down our relationships. It has a way of fooling us into thinking that we're being relational when we're actually only being partially relational. So for you and I to have a genuine relationship, we have to communicate fully, 100%. You need to know when I'm mad, when I'm sad, when I'm happy, right? It's not just an exchange of text or ideas, Now, there are a number of ways you can communicate with this device, text, phone call, FaceTime, email, instant message, whatever, Insta comments, whatever ways you want to communicate. But the reality is you can't fully communicate through this portal to another human being because it lacks things like tone of voice, emotion, right, a real sense of body language, and I would say almost even more important of those things, eye contact. Now, why is that so important? Think about it. We teach our kids eye contact's important, right? When you teach your children to shake hands, you want them to look somebody in the eyes because we know that's respectful. But why is it respectful to make eye contact when you're speaking? Here's why. Because when I'm looking at you, when I'm talking to you, you know that my mind is not divided. 
you have my attention. Right? And you can't have my attention if I'm driving down the road. Not my full attention if I'm talking to you on the phone and I'm driving down the road. Now, I'm talking to you, but I'm not fully engaging you relationally. Now, again, this can be so useful for, hey, I'm running behind. Uh, you know, do you know what the score is on the Rangers game? Or how about I just look it up? Hey, Siri, do something for me, right? So it can be a useful tool in our hands, but it can also be deceptive into thinking that we are being relational with a lot of people when in reality we're just being partially relational with a lot of people. Second to that is going back to this idea of multitasking. Now, I have yet, in all of my marriage counseling, had a person come to me and say, Pastor, my marriage is in trouble, and here's what I need. I really, really, really need my spouse to spend more time on their phone. Do you think you could help me with this? Point made. But I hear the opposite all the time. All the time. I hear it in my own home. Who are you talking to on your phone? Is it important to do that right now? Me, my wife, both of us included. My little boys are jonesing for a phone right now, and they've never owned one, and they want one. Right? Why? Because as soon as we turn it on, it has our attention. And when we start to multitask, and I'm talking to you while I'm looking here, am I actually giving my attention to you? I'm not, am I? And this little device right here has convinced me and some of you that you are an excellent multitasker. I, I encourage you to do this if you've never. When you go to a restaurant and sit down and you're waiting, especially if you're by yourself, probably a few of you are goofy like me and eat by yourself, but if you do, look around and watch how many families sit down at the table and the first thing they do just like without even thinking this, and everybody at the table's got one. And they may even be talking while they're doing this. Right? So deceptive, isn't it? How it could just sneak into our everyday life. Now, once again, neither good nor evil. Depends on how you use it. I've got one more for you. There are apps out there. Um, the one I use is called Moment. It's free. It will record your cell phone usage and give you a weekly report. And it blew me away the first day when I opened that app for the, to look at the previous day. It tells you, it gives you a timeline on how many times, just puts it in order, you pick up your phone, turn your screen on, and how long the screen stayed on. And I realized, oh my gosh, over 100 times a day, I'm just picking it up to look at it and then turning it right back off. Disengaging from whatever's going around and right, revealing what? Just how deceptive that little digital screen can be. Now, that was all for me, not for you. I know none of you struggle with that. I'm just throwing that out there for you so you know a little insight into my struggles. Now, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going this morning, and let's understand the context. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He has nothing on his daily schedule. He has nothing on his hands but chains and time. And he's in prison contemplating time. That's what he's going to be contemplating. The use of time, what he would be doing if he was not in prison. Which is more important, temporal time or eternal time? Look at what he says, in, starting in verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So he's thinking about his imprisonment. He's saying, this is going to end in my good. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life 
or by death. So he's thinking about this. I may be here in prison for a long time. I may die here. However, I may get out here. I don't know which one's going to happen. Either way, I'll be delivered. And here's what he's, he's thinking about as he's in here. My prayer, though, is that no matter which one happens, that Christ would be honored in my body, whether by life, if I go on living, or by death. And then he says this. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am being hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So as Paul is there in prison with a lot of time on his hands, thinking about what he would be doing if he wasn't there in chains, thinking about all those people he cares about who he can't get to right now, he can't touch them, he can't hug them, he can't make eye contact with them, so he's writing them a letter. As he's there contemplating, he's looking at time from two perspectives. One is a temporal or a temporary perspective. What Paul realizes very clearly is that he has a short amount of time here on earth. Now, by average, I looked at this this week, I think the average American, um, the average lifespan of an American is right at or under 80 years of age right now, which I think is the, is the biggest it's been or the longest it's span that we've ever seen uh, for American culture. Okay, so that means I hit 42 years ago. In theory, I was halfway done, right? Time. Now, <laughs> Paul is here thinking about however much time he has. He's saying, well, if I get out of prison, that's good because that's going to be whatever time I have left, that's fruitful labor. I'm going to get to do some good stuff for Christ. But if I die in here, I'm not upset about that. Why? Because that's actually game, right, to step into eternal time. So we, we think of it this way. You've got eternity existing, stretching out forwards and backwards, farther than you or I can imagine or fathom. And this little dot on the eternal time frame is what we call temporal time. The beginning of measured time and the end of measured time. Now, you and I represent an even smaller speck of dot on that timeline. You follow me? Now, you've been given about approximately 80 years. Some of you less, some of us less, some of us more, right? And, and the question is, how are you investing that time and Paul is thinking about this and he's saying you know what if I get out of here that's going to be good because I'm going to get to invest that time in fruitful labor so what does Paul mean by fruitful labor well if you fast forward two chapters in this very book in the Bible Philippians 3 Paul talks about how he used to spend his time before he became a Christian matter of fact he kind of goes through his resume his bio of all the things he achieved and accomplished as you know this this religious expert, this Pharisee, this keeper of the law. And before he became a Christian, Paul was a hard worker and invested his time in a lot of religious activity. I want you to hang on to that thought. A lot of religious activity. And then in Philippians chapter 3, he lays out in six verses an overview of all that religious activity. Listen to what he says in verse 7, though. But whatever gain I had... Now remember, what is Paul contemplating in prison? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now he's thinking about before he became a Christian. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What Paul is saying is that everything that has existed in my life apart from gaining Christ, knowing Christ, making Christ known, I now consider a loss. And he's not just thinking past tense. He says, as a matter of fact, I count everything a loss. Right? That is not driven by this singular purpose, this singular motive to know Christ and make him known. I count it as loss. I don't know if you've ever had the, the privilege and the honor of sitting with somebody and having a dialogue with somebody who knows their days are numbered, especially you know, an elderly or older person who's maybe knows that their days are numbered, knows that they're getting ready to pass away, and they're looking back over the span of their life, and they're contemplating what really mattered. Have you ever had one of those conversations? It's, it's an honor, and I'll tell you this, in almost every case, you're going to hear the same thing. I wish I had spent my time differently. If there are any regrets that you hear, Right? Any I wish I could do this over, it's almost always in the form of if I could go back, kind of like Paul is saying, I would do less of the things that I now consider a loss. And I would have spent more time doing the things that I consider now to be a gain. Now here's the irony. When you're in the moment and the busyness of life, it all, we've convinced ourselves that it's all for gain, right? In some way, this is going to benefit me In the end, it's ultimately going to lead me to happiness. And the person who's lived it all would look back and say, how foolish I was. I gave myself to things that I now consider to be worthless. I gave the best of myself, the best of my time to things that I now consider to be worthless. Now think about this. Think about when you were a kid, how many old people would tell you, hey, you better enjoy it now because you're going to blink and it's going to be gone. Did you ever hear that? It's going to go fast. And you're thinking, I'm never going to turn 16 so I can get my driver's license. It's never going to happen. It's forever away. And then you turn 16, you get your license, and then you graduate, and then you either go to college or get a job and start working. Maybe you get married. First kiddo comes along, and you're there with that newborn little infant baby relishing this joyous moment, and somebody older and wiser than you comes to you and says, what? You better enjoy it because you're going to blink, and it's going to be gone and we thought oh come on and then what happens is we move into raising these kiddos and they scream and cry and they can't tell us why and it's frustrating we think man I just can't wait for this phase to be over to move to the next phase right and then so then they start sleeping through the night only to give way to the teething era and then we're thinking I can't wait to get through this phase to get ready right can't wait till this phase is done and so the teething era gives way to the walking, talking era, and then we're chasing these little rugrats around, picking up stuff, cleaning up, thinking, oh my gosh, when will this end? And then comes potty training, right? And it just goes on, and we're just constantly waiting for the next era, and what the person who's talking to you when your babies are little is saying is like, if you're going to blink, it's going to be gone. And next thing you know, they're going to be graduating from high school, moving on, getting married. Time, our greatest commodity and one of the greatest things that we take for granted. I think Paul is here in prison. He's contemplating not just time, but how the gospel impacts the way he uses his time. And he's saying, if I've learned anything, if I've learned anything in this life, it's this one thing. 
the only thing that I won't consider loss is the time that I have invested in knowing Christ and making him known. Living with a singular purpose. Go back to Philippians 1 with me, verse 24. So even though he says to die is gain, verse 24, but to remain in the flesh, this life, is more necessary on your account. Why? Why is that more necessary? Look at what he says. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, if I get out of these chains, here's, what's gonna be, here's, what, here's how I can meaningfully spend the rest of my life making Christ known to you, living my life for your progress and your joy in the faith for his glory. If I can just get out of these chains and I can just make my way back to you, I'm gonna give my life to doing these things. Now, let's talk for a minute about what it means to live with singular purpose. What we're not saying is that Paul's schedule and routine was just one big gauntlet of religious activity, okay? The American culture, even the American church culture, is good at that, creating a busy religious calendar, lots of stuff on it, okay? So that's not what he's saying. To live with singular purpose doesn't mean that I do a bunch of busy religious things, right? It means that in my everyday life, in the things I've been called to do, I live with singular purpose. Here's how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 when he's talking about um, what it means to live for one singular purpose. He says, here's the thing, verse 23, all things are lawful, uh, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. What Paul is saying is that as Christians, yes, we can justify just about anything. You can say it's okay for me to do this or this or this, give my life to this or get busy with this. What Paul is saying is that's not the question. The question isn't, is it lawful? The question is, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Does it build up? And then look at what he says in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. He's ca capturing this idea of living with singular purpose. And he's applying it to eating and drinking. He's applying it to everything that you do, everything that you're called to do in life. You're going to work should have a singular purpose. Are you just trading time for money that you're gonna blow through? Because you can never trade that money back for time. Why are you going to work? Why are you working? Paul would say, listen, go to work for Christ. Live with this singular purpose, to know him, to make him known for his glory in your work. You signing your kids up for t-ball, fantastic. Taking your kiddos to dance, great. Do it with a singular purpose, though, of knowing Christ and making him known. Everything that you do should be driven by singular purpose. Now, let's talk about um, free time for a minute, because this is another area we need to talk about. So we, we think about our calendars, we build out our calendars, we put commitments on the calendar, but what about the space in between? What about the cracks and crevices that pop up? This is where tracking your screen time can be helpful. How often do you get a, a moment of downtime and boom, you go here. And then you go to whatever it is, social media, the news, whatever. I don't do social media on my phone anymore, so I'm stuck with the news app and the weather. <laughs> I'm becoming an old man quickly. 
And it's, it's, yeah, and it's, you know, I'm just, wait, when are they going to update the headlines? I've seen these already today. It's funny what we fill our cracks and crevices with, isn't it? I encourage you, track your screen time and see how often you take that moment that you didn't anticipate having off to just, just open up the screen. Now, again, these aren't evil things, but you know what I have to do to combat my cracks and crevices? I keep, I have an app. <laughs> um, it's called Handle, and it has my to-do list. This has become my new social media, and it's a list of things that I want to do if I get time. And so when I get time, I get to open my app and go, okay, what, what phone calls did I want to make that I didn't think I was going to get to make? Who was I thinking about checking in on that I just didn't have time to check in on? What thing needed to be done? And so I open it up, and I can be more intentional, even with the unintentional time. Here's how Charles Spurgeon sums up what we're talking about here. Charles Spurgeon says this about time and the way we manage time. He says, serve God by. Now, what's interesting is if we're good churchy religious people, we would say by going to church on Sunday morning, going to Sunday school, go to church on Sunday morning, go to Sunday night services, then go to Wednesday night services, then you serve on Tuesday nights and get busy religiously. Here's what he says. Here's how, here's how we spend our time in serving God. He says, serve God by doing common actions in the heavenly spirit. So he's not saying don't change your everyday routine. He's saying do your everyday routine with the singular purpose. And then if your daily calling only leaves you cracks and crevices of time, fill them up with holy service. Comes from Charles Spurgeon. I like to think about Spurgeon living in an era where they didn't have to fight this temptation busyness but evidently it was an issue and Spurgeon is saying this if you and I will build out our calendars calendars with the singular purpose of knowing Christ and making him known then guess what's going to happen in the cracks and crevices if we'll become more intentional with the things we give ourselves to and commit to then we'll be more intentional with our free time now this this conversation needs to extend okay we're we need to have more of this. We're going to talk about this in the upcoming community group, matter of fact. You know, there are different things that we've had to learn the hard way um, as a married couple, my wife and I. One of the things, though, that we were mentored in before we got married and had any kids from couples who had already been married had kids was this advice. We received this from a couple different families. They said, listen, when, you're, when you have kids and they start getting older, you're going to be tempted to get them involved in everything. You're going to feel this pressure to sign them up for everything. Don't give in. And the counsel that was given to us is make sure your kids are never involved in one, more than one activity at a time. Okay, and so that we've tried to live by this. It's been hard. Um, there have been temptations, there have been deviations, and we've had to learn some lessons the hard way. Um, but, you know, just some practical ways this has played out for us is, you know, our oldest son, Hudson, really loved baseball, but he also loved karate. And so he wanted to do both. And we said, no, we have a rule. This was even when he was like six or seven years old. You can only do one, so you have to make the decision. Which one do you want to do? If it's karate, we get behind that. And so we would do karate for a while and say, hey, listen, you're committed. Until you reach your next belt, right, that's the end of the season, you're committed. You're going to keep working at this. Make a commitment, keep it. Once that's done, then you can make another decision. You want to do baseball? Okay, well, we'll sign you up for baseball. Okay, baseball comes along, but I want to do karate. That's fine, but you're going to keep this commitment first. And hopefully, so selfishly, that works out great for us because <laughs> we're not chasing our kids all over town. But our hope is to teach our boys to be single-minded. I know it sounds good to, to play baseball and karate at the same time, but you can't give yourself fully to both of those things and us still in our family have a healthy family, a healthy marriage, healthy time. It just, it just doesn't work for us. 
Now, that's us, that's not you. You've got to think about then, how does this gospel theology impact your commitments, what you put on the calendar and commit and give yourself to? Because we want to keep our commitments, don't we? Have you ever been in the middle of a commitment wishing and regretting that you had not made that commitment? Or am I the only one? So how do we, how do we learn from that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the reality. This is, this is true, whether you believe it or not, it's true. Every yes you make is a no. Matter of fact, every yes you make is more than one no. When you make a commitment to something, even a good thing, something God's called you to, you're inadvertently saying what? No to everything else. Right? So, and that can happen in a big commitment. It can also happen in a small way. If um, it's after dinner and I go sit on the couch and the boys are gathering around me and the TV is on and... I pull this little guy out of my pocket and I turn it on. I'm saying yes, so I'm inadvertently saying no. Follow me? Now, that's, I think we all agree that's true, but the problem is we don't know what to say no to. What do we say no to? Do we say no to everything? How do we say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things? Here's some questions I want to give to you to think about before you make another commitment. Okay? Whether you're young family, got a bunch of little kiddos, and you're just run ragged right now by your schedule, or you're retired, and you still find yourself overcommitted, here's a list of questions I want you to ask yourself before you make one more commitment. Am I making this commitment out of guilt? Think about that. Am I making this commitment out of envy of someone else. This next one's pretty big, especially moms, right here. Am I making this commitment out of cultural pressure or expectations? I want you to think about that. Why am I making this commitment? Am I making this commitment because I think that and I believe that will lead me to happiness? Am I making this commitment because it fulfills a deep conviction and calling that God has placed in my life? It may be. Am I making this commitment in order to spend more time with God? Am I making this commitment in order to spend more time with my family? Am I making this commitment in order to stir my heart for worship? Am I making this commitment because it allows me to engage in real fellowship with other believers? Am I making this commitment in order to live missionally in my life? And am I making this commitment in order to love and serve others selflessly? Now these aren't all of the motives that you might be wrestling through when you make a commitment, but I would encourage you to ask yourself questions like these before you make the commitment. Why are you doing it? Like, there's nothing wrong with kids having activities, but why are you doing it? Is it to know Christ and make him known, to build relationships with others, to teach your kiddos things about commitment and life and value, or are we simply giving in to cultural pressures, buying into the lie that we can multitask effectively and give ourselves 100% to more than one thing? Now, listen, I know there's a lot of pressure. We've actually been given a hard time before by well-meaning Christian parents who think that our standards are too tight. We're inhibiting our kids from being all that they could be. We get it. There's a tension you have to wrestle with. 
for us, it was, it was the whole baseball thing. Like we said early on, like we're, our kids are never going to go do the all-stars thing. And then what happens the first time your kid makes all-stars? You're like, oh, did we mean that? Because we want to honor the hard work and say, hey, I'm glad you did really great. And like we had to wrestle through that. I'll never forget that phone call we wrestled through. And we had told all the coaches we won't play. And then we're like, yeah, but we wrestled through it. So we went, what we do, we gave the choice to our son and let him make it. You can play all You made the team, congratulations. If you want to play, you can play, and we'll support that. It wasn't what we were planning on, but we'll do it. However, if you choose that, you're taking off in the fall. And we let it be his choice. And again, we certainly aren't navigating all these pressures the right way, but these are all the pressures that you're facing. And then we feel guilty when we don't give in. We're somehow being bad parents. And what Paul is saying is there's going to come a day, parents, when you look back on all the busyness and there's a good chance a majority of the things you give yourself to, you're going to one day call those things loss and not gain. So the gospel does inform how we build out our calendars, doesn't it? Now, as a church, we have to think about this as well. And you may not realize this, but we have an annual and monthly rhythm here um, that we put together with young families in mind because we've got a lot of young families here. Um, This is what our annual calendar looks like, Um, just to kind of give you an illustration. Um, We're in the fall right now, and so our community groups fire off in the fall in September and run through mid-December. Simultaneously, so does our Wednesday night kids ministry. We do that intentionally. What the kids are doing, right? Get the families involved. But we also know that around Christmas, it's time to disengage from being too committed. Sports commitments are coming to an end. Family events are coming up on the calendar. And the last thing we want you doing is having to make a decision between a church event and a family event. Or trying to do both and doing both half-heartedly. And so we try to throttle back around Christmas time to make sure that we've got time and bandwidth and space as Christians, to invest in family, especially extended family, you don't get to see all the time. Catch your breath. Kids are out of school, right? Recoup some of that time. But then we fire back off in community groups and our uh, Wednesday night kids ministry in the spring, starting in early January, taking us all the way through May. And then in the summer, same thing. Kids are out of school. Family vacations are happening. We've been real busy already in the spring, right? Sports commitments, most of them are coming to an end. Throttle back a little bit. Let's catch our breath. Let's get in this rhythm. We know how to go hard. We know how to rest. We know how to take off. So during our semesters, the the monthly rhythm of your month, if you are engaged in everything that we do here, then looks like this. We do worship and community groups on the first week. There's a reason why we don't do community groups every week. Because we also want you engaged in men's and women's Bible study. So what we do is we encourage our groups then in week two, come to worship and then spend time with your community group, the men and women doing their Bible studies, and then week three, worship community groups, and you see that rhythm, right? Now, we have some groups that meet way more consistent than that. That's fine. That's up to the group, but that's not our rhythm that we encourage. We have some Bible study groups, men's ministry, women's ministry. I've been a part of one, that, a men's group that meets every week, and it's been fantastic, right, for those who can, but not everybody can. And what we don't want to do is become a church that throws all of these religious activities out there for you, right, in such a way that you feel guilty if you're not involved in something. So we create what we call this monthly rhythm. And that means in the summer, right, and this is what it looks like, worship. Worship. Now, if your community group wants to keep meeting in the summer, fantastic. If you guys can do that and maintain a healthy schedule, go for it. We'll resource you. We'll champion that with you. We'll encourage you in that. We also want you to take time to spend 
time with your kiddos. They're not having to do homework in the summer for the most part, right? You got, they're out of school. You guys are probably going to be going on family vacations. Last thing we want you to try to do is try to navigate community group meetings and vacations and try to make all this stuff work. Like we want you to have space to do the things of God and fulfill the calling you have in your family. Now, we get it. This rhythm doesn't work for everybody. Some of you work nights. Some of you work weekends and all those sorts of things. But this, this calendar rhythm is designed for the average American family to say, listen, the last thing we want to be to you is another religious activity on your calendar. Yet you're called to worship, you're called to engage in biblical community, and you're called to live the mission. So we want to come around, come alongside you and compliment your life and say, listen, this is what ministry looks like here at our church. I want to explain that to you so that you know we have a rhythm and that's the reason behind it. See, the point is not that we all get busy, busy with religious activities. It's that we live the things that we've been called to do, including work and raising kids and t-ball and dance and karate and all those things. We do it with a singular purpose, to know Christ and to make him known. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Blesses my heart when you invite somebody to our church and they come in, you introduce me to them, and then I find out how you met them and you say, oh, through baseball or through dancer. And I'm like, yes, now that's it. Right? It's not about doing dance because every kid gets to do dance. It's about living your life on mission with a singular purpose. Listen, we are, we are image bearers. And the God in whose image, in whose image, that doesn't make sense. The God whose image you were created in is intentional with his time. He created the earth in six days and he was intentional with his rest. And then what did he say? Now go out and emulate that. Think about Jesus. Think about the time where he raised Lazarus from the dead. Do you know that whole story? He was actually out of town when Lazarus passes away. And Lazarus' sister comes to Jesus and said, Jesus, you gotta come, my brother's dying. Come quick, come quick. And then jolts home. What does Jesus do? Does he drop everything for somebody? No, he's, he says, okay. He waits two more days before he goes. His disciples are giving him a hard time. Why aren't we going? What, what's going on here? And Jesus said what? Listen, this is gonna be okay. It's gonna work out for God's glory. And so what happens is Jesus comes to Bethany, Lazarus has passed away, and he's raised from the dead for God's glory. But somebody else's emergency didn't automatically cause Jesus to change his schedule. He was very intentional with his time. Listen, the gospel calls us to be intentional with our time. What are you spending it on? And more importantly, why are you spending it on those things? I'm gonna let that land on us today. I hope that this conversation will carry on with you and your family, you and your friends, you and your community group. Um, let's take a moment now just to pray together and um, maybe, maybe you're not quite sure how this lands on you. Let's just posture our hearts before God together. Um, Father, thank you for um, this time this morning. Thank you for this reminder from the scriptures that God, time matters. Um, and it matters a great deal more than most of us care to admit. God, very few of us walked into church today with our calendars in our hand and expected to hear anything about our daily routines. But God, this morning you reminded us that you were incredibly involved and concerned with how we spend our time. As we look at Paul's example, God, imagining what it would be like to be in prison in chains, thinking about all the things you would do with your time if you could just have it back. God, thank you for the reminder from Paul that if he had any time left to spend here on earth, he would spend that time knowing you and making you known. And God, that is so helpful for us today. Help us, God, to apply that theology to our everyday lives. 
what we do with our work day, what we do with our lunch time, what we do with our breaks, what we do with our family time, what we do with our dinner time, what we do in the evening when everything is done, what we do on Saturday morning when there's no work commitments. God, help us to understand how that theology applies to our everyday lives, that we may live for Jesus and make him known. Holy Spirit, would you come into this place? Would you move through this room? God, would you speak to us in Christ's name?